As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. After extra time and penalties, England progress in a game where they were mostly second best. Lauren James had a moment of madness and Chloe Kelly's spot kick delivered Nigerian sadness. But the Super Falcons depart with their heads held high as the Lionesses consider how things nearly went awry. And Australia didn't need to leave it late thanks to goals from Ford and Rasso, mate. The Matildas had some incredible support in what will surely be a boon to the women's sport. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, as always, your friend of mine, Mr. Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Tay-Tay. How are you? Hello, I am well. Even though I thought I would finish these games with plenty of time, I woke up at 6 a.m. to watch them, and I finished watching England-Nigeria about 10 minutes before we started recording because extra time and penalties were a thing that I did not see coming. That's called efficiency, Tay-Tay. That's called efficiency. I you suppose. Do. I was like, I'll have time for to make a breakfast. It'll be a nice way to kind of relax be- between watching games and recording. No, no, no. Instead, it was a frantic rush. Uh, thank you again, England and, England and Nigeria. The soccer gods looked upon you, Taylor, and said, hmm. this England-Nigeria game is so good, we're going to give you 30 minutes extra. You're welcome. I actually, of the two games, I preferred this one. I thought I thought there was more interesting stuff happening, and I think maybe because of the potential underdog the potential surprise upset that was in the making and then did not come to be uh, i found england nigeria the more captivating of the two games even if it had fewer goals i would have preferred this one if england had gone out for sure oh yeah but... oh yeah for sure for sure for sure uh cynicism's graham rather their listener how are you graham <laughs> i am fine ryan billy we were so close to a full england at a world cup bingo cards underwhelming performance in a match they were expected to win check star player sent off for a moment of petulance check a penalty shootout check had they lost the shootout it would have been the archetypal england exit from a world cup but england survived sigh sigh uh yeah that's the opposite feeling to i have i'm oh, i'm sort of <laughs> wiping my brow in relief as we will get to later on in this podcast so graham joining us to analyze that game and of course australia's progress to the quarterfinals it's mr joe lowry hello joe 
Hello, guys. Yeah, these maybe weren't the most engrossing games of all time. I do think there'll be some fun things we can spotlight throughout. I'm very curious about what's going to happen with England in their next match with no Lauren James. We'll talk about that stamp a little bit later on. There were some good moments, and I am I'm looking forward to digging in. Well, let's dig into it. Not before we just uh, direct your attention, listener, to patreon.com slash show. If you would like to support us, that is a jolly good place to point your internet browser. I would suggest bonus episodes. There's videos on there. There's access to our Discord where we're all cool and hanging out and chatting soccer in there. Please come and join us in there. Ryan, have you been in the Discord? That was that, that was as though you're vaguely familiar with what Discord is, but have not actually utilized it before. Uh, to be honest, I'm nearly 40 years old, so I'm only vaguely familiar with what Discord is as a concept, gotcha. Taylor, yes. To, to, to answer I mean, me too. It was just more of the way you were like, it's there's fun stuff happening there and lively banters and uh yeah you know check it out it's good time hello if fellow you guys, kids yes. <laughs> yes, yes do you enjoy fun things come and join our discord it's great it is actually very fun though lots of cool kids hanging out in there as i say let's get to the early game england nil nigeria nil england progressing to the quarterfinals 4-2 on penalties nearly 50,000 in the brisbane stadium here uh Graham, I think the overriding message here was never in doubt. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, this team, well, sincerely, this team has basically played one good game in four so far, but is through to the quarterfinals. Here we had an England team who uh, were the second best team probably for the for the 120 minutes, had a penalty awarded and then taken away. Lauren James with the red card for violent conduct, as we'll cover shortly as well. Nigeria probably deserving the win in this one, but England utilizing that famous prowess in penalty shootouts that's <sighs> coursing through every English person's veins. The first ever successful shootout at a major tournament for this team, Graham. Yeah, England, the TLDR here is they were extremely fortunate in this match. Nigeria gave them real trouble. England won't win a World Cup playing like this. All the verve and energy of the win over China was gone. Nigeria, as you say there, Ryan, were generally the better team. They certainly looked the more comfortable. They were more certain of their game plan. And with better finishing, they they, they would have won this. Um, I always think anecdotally, you get one squeaky bum time game in a, in a tournament run. England had it against, if we look at the Euros last year, England had it against Spain. And was that the round of 16 or the quarterfinal? That was the Georgia Stanway strike from distance in a match where I thought Spain were probably the better team. At the Qatar World Cup, Argentina had it against the Netherlands when they won on on, on penalties in the, the quarterfinals, I think it was. So it's probably going to be Colombia in the next round for England, and we've already seen what they can do against high-quality opposition in this tournament. England simply have to be better in that, in that match, or I can see Colombia winning. Um, it was the same back three shape from England. They, they used that in the final group game against China, so it wasn't surprising to see that used again here. What was surprising was that Kira Walsh started this match. We mentioned mm. it yesterday that she would be available for this game, but I really didn't expect her to start. That should have been a boost for England, but it just never really felt like they had control of this match. They did have more possession, but it was just very static. They were slow to move the ball. There were some real moments of sloppiness as well. There was a 10-minute period in the second half where, when England couldn't stop turning the ball over in dangerous areas. It felt like England just they lacked angles and passing options in central midfield. And it, to be honest, it was very reminiscent of some of the midfield performances we saw from the US at this tournament. And we can talk a little bit more. I'll pass the mic on, but we can talk a little bit, a little bit more about what Nigeria did in this game because it wasn't all about England being bad. I thought Nigeria were very good yeah. in, in moments, particularly in central midfield. But this match, I'm, I think it's fair to say, at least from my point of view, didn't pan out the way I expected. 
Yeah, England struggled, and I won't make this whole thing about the U.S. going out yesterday, but it, it does hurt a little bit watching the U.S. go out and put in a, a significantly better performance than England put in in their respective games, and one of those teams still being in the competition and one of those teams being home after Should penalty kicks. That, that, you're not wrong about that, Ryan. You're not wrong, and there are other issues for the U.S., obviously, but that's part of what makes tournaments so exciting. Another part of what makes tournaments so exciting is underdogs coming in with really top-notch game plans and executing them very, very well, which is what Nigeria did here. They went with a, a ton of marking in midfield, right? They were super tight to England's midfield group. So England in this 3-4-1-2 shape, Lauren James as that number 10 with Walsh and Stanway underneath. Nigeria, their defensive shape was fluid because their priority wasn't necessarily covering different spaces on the field in, in sort of a zonal block, but they were going man-to-man, especially through midfield. And I thought the key player for them on the evening was Ainde, playing as that deeper-lying midfielder, tracking Lauren James. Like Lauren James had such a hard time finding any space in this game, and it was already working well for Nigeria, and then it worked even better than they could have imagined when Lauren James decides to step on somebody on purpose, and she's sent off, and all of a sudden England are down to 10 players. It didn't end up working on the whole in terms of the result for Nigeria. But, I mean, they they absolutely nailed the execution of this game plan. Players were not giving up any space in midfield. England, for their part, can't could, could never find a way through. Like, they could not create a ton of real clear-cut opportunities in the final third. They created, I believe, fewer shots on the evening. Yeah, they did, by eight. So it was 12 shots for England, 20 shots for Nigeria. And a lot of the best chances in this match, to both teams, to be fair, came from set pieces. So credit to Nigeria, the game plan they drew up and how they executed gave England a ton of problems. Uh, one one other thing for me I just wanted to add, because I think Graham and Joe have done a really good job of covering sort of the overall story of this game, is just the first 15 minutes were, for me, a very good encapsulation of what England thought this game would be and then what the game actually was. In the first five, England were all over Nigeria. Nigeria could not play out. They end up having to just kind of kick it long or clear it as best they can. England are getting set pieces. They're keeping possession. And it felt to me like, okay, here we go. This is how this game is going to play out. England are going to be very ball dominant, tons of possession in Nigeria's half. Nigeria are going to bunker and defend and try to frustrate and hit on the counter. And then after five minutes is up, for the next 10 minutes, it's all Nigeria. It's them taking the game to England. It's them winning the ball high. It's them making England very uncomfortable and making them drop deep into a, a flat back five at times. And I think, to some extent, England expected to be the team that had tons of time on the ball that, that Nigeria were going to bunker and frustrate. And, and it feels to me like that was sort of not just the game plan, but their mentality as well. And so when they're suddenly in these like physical 50-50 clashes and they're having to deal with direct play, but also some good combination play. I feel like they were just really slow to get out of or to get into gear that they needed to be in. Maybe they never even did until the shootout. Uh, but I, I feel like it was a situation in which one team thought the game was going to go one way and the other team were intent on not letting it go that way. Uh, and so I, I give massive credit to Nigeria. As Graham said, I think if they were a little bit sharper in front of goal, we're having a different conversation right now. Yeah, Nigeria, they asked questions of England that, quite frankly, Serena Wiegmann never found answers to during this game, which is somewhat unusual for Serena Wiegmann. She does tend to figure things out over the course of the match. She doesn't make a, a bunch of changes, Wiegmann, so it's not too surprising that she only makes two subs over 120 minutes. Um, there's a couple late subs, I think, come on for the penalty shootout, but the Just... game's, you know... Just the one. I'm still very confused by that. She brings on Katie Zellum in the 120th minute, who then does not take a penalty. I'm always kind of confounded oh, when that's those right. changes she doesn't happen. Take one. 
No. So she she takes them for at club level. So when that sub was made, I assumed that's what that was for. It's just or to you're... stop Kira Wolf's taking one. Yeah, exactly. That seems to be what it so was. Her leg it was doesn't like... fall off. Yeah, she's taking one. <laughs> but yeah, it, um, it was a strange performance, if that's the right word, for, from Serena Wiegmann. Nigeria were just having so much joy down the left side through Plumter, who I thought had a, like an excellent match. She is Agreed. the player who absolutely smashes a strike off the uh, off the crossbar. Nigeria hit the, yeah. the woodwork three times in this game over the course of the match. So one was a, a cross that clipped the bar. The other was a Kanu header that, that Mary Epps probably just about had covered, but one was a thwack off the crossbar by Plumter. Um, she was on the left side of the back four, and then the left side of the back three laterally. Alozi was, was switched over to that side uh, for the, the second half and into extra time. But she was very effective at getting forward. I don't think Lucy Bronze has had a great World Cup. I thought she was at fault for a lot of the transition, defensive transition moments that Haiti had in that opening match. And I thought she was vulnerable again in this match, both through sloppy possession moments and turning the ball over high up the pitch, but also just through a lack of understanding with her central defenders and when Millie Bright is to come over and when Millie Bright is to stay and when Lucy Bronze is to, to track back and when Kira Walsh is to drop in. I didn't feel like that understanding was there in that match. And Nigeria made the most of that down the left side. They really did play a good game, Nigeria. As Joe says, it's just the way t- tournament football works that... The US go out yesterday after playing a good game and England go through after playing such a poor game here. Yeah, I retend everything that's been said so far. Nigeria definitely looks sharper in this one, better organised, more physical presence, just got the better of most challenges, it seemed. They definitely leave this tournament with their heads high. Whereas England, I, I was expecting just to push on from that China game, but it, it just it seemed like it took a while to get going. Very sloppy, as we've mentioned. Just looked tired as well, going towards extra time, which is slightly concerning for this team too. But... I suppose, Graham, could you, could you argue, if you're going to be positive about it, that it's mental strength that got this team through? That's how you win tournaments. Quite often, a team who wins a tournament has to go through a shootout. It has a narrow escape. If you, We mentioned Argentina in the men's tournament. <laughs> Taylor's not liking my I'm, positive spin here. I'm just laughing at your question that you are then arguing the entire point of <laughs> to then ask Graham if he agrees, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's the lawyer in me. Um, <laughs> so, so, you mentioned Argentina in the men's tournament a few months ago, Graham, and... Like, like against Australia, against uh, Saudi Arabia as well. Not the best team in that game, arguably, but went on to win uh, it all. So it's the mental strength that makes you go to distance, right? I mean, I guess it's a factor. I, I don't know how much mental strength shines through in this game for England, given that they concede nine shots in the first half. That's the most of any first half under Serena Wiegmann. Tony Payne creates seven big chances or uh, big opportunities, however Opta define that over the course of the match that's the most that any player in the knockout rounds at this tournament so far has created even the shootout where normally I would agree with you Ryan if a team comes through a shootout you have to show mental strength but I don't know if England's performance in the shootout was that great either I mean Georgia Stanway's first penalty is one of the worst shootout penalties I've ever seen and obviously Nigeria then won up that by missing their next two penalties and the second penalty in particular is dreadful but it wasn't like it was a great shootout performance Can by I England either disagree I, I, yeah I hard disagree <laughs> I think if you did a supercut of the two penalty shootouts we had so far you could have some pretty bad penalties between all, all those sides basically but so that doesn't mean no, England's was a good performance though the Kelly penalty I, I, and the daily penalties are good the, the there's, daily there's penalty five. and the Kelly penalties were unreal I would say like Agreed. to, to uh, particularly with with, um, with Kelly at the end to hit a ball full pace top bins in that circumstance when you've got to win the game is 
unreal. I think it's the most it's the most impressive take I've seen in a penalty shootout. Like yeah. I'm like far and away. I it really is for me. It's to to have that moment where if you hit it, you win. And she not only hits it, she hits it into the inch perfect spot. And lest we forget, and Dozier goes the right way. So if it's less well struck, either in terms of pace or in terms of the direction of the shot, if it's a little bit lower, maybe it's saved. She hits that one perfectly I, I was my my jaw was on the floor with yeah. that one Rachel Daly's was incredible I yeah. thought Alex Greenwood even I love that there was so much delay and I did th- I thought Georgia Stanway was going to miss her penalty she did but the whistle goes and she stands there for like a five Mississippi count and that to me is never really a good look because if they cut to you and you're just sort of standing there stoic and breathing like fine but if they cut to you and you sort of look like i don't know what i'm supposed to do now which is what stanway looked like to me uh that always felt like a miss but i contrast that with alex greenwood where as soon as the whistle was blown she was in her run-up and just took it perfectly yeah uh and then i thought england as well stepping up and, and hitting hers uh in a very calm way when both teams had started off with misses i thought the first one was poor the resulting four after that were all all pretty strong and on that note i do have so much sympathy for Michelle Olozier, a player that I did not know much about until I previewed Nigeria, and I was really excited to watch her, and I've really enjoyed her in this tournament and thought she was good in this game. But that, in as much, like having said that Chloe Kelly's was maybe the most impressive penalty I've ever seen, Michelle Olozier's was one of the worst penalties I think I've ever seen, and she fully looked like she was going to miss it as well. So that was maybe a little bit brutal for Nigeria to have those first two misses. Uh, credit to Ajibade for then making hers, because at that moment when it was 2-0 England in the shootout, it felt for all the world like th- she's going to miss this, and it is fully match over. So uh, credit to Ajibade for getting back into it, but uh, I thought England pretty good in the shootout overall. It, it was a, a match defined one way or another by penalties, because that was obviously a takeaway, a headline from oh, the yeah. 90 minutes of play was the, the Rachel Daly penalty that is given and then overturned. Um, I think that's the bad correct protocol, decision. Grab, bad protocol, You can't. It wasn't clear and obvious for me. I think it is clear and obvious. I, I don't think it is a, a, in any way a penalty. And, and she, like when I think a lot of people would agree with me on that, like she instigates, instigates the contact by backing up into the defender, then grossly exaggerates the fall. So I, I think it is yeah. correct to overturn that. Then there's the Lucy Bronze one. I think she, and I appreciate this is a Scott making this argument. <laughs> the, the bias <laughs> is shining through here. I thought Lucy Bronze got lucky in the second yeah. half not to concede a penalty. When yeah. you have on the face of it, a similar incident, incident, but the, the difference was Bronze is the wrong side. She's clumsy. I think it's Ajabadi in that moment. She gets shoved out of her running line. She doesn't stop like Rachel Daly did with the, with the, the first half incident. Um, so I thought that should have been a penalty. Although given what we saw from Nigeria in the shootout, they, they probably would have skied it anyway. I know we've got a break here to go back quickly to the penalty shootout. Uh, I'm not condoning, I'm not condoning, excuse me, Lauren James' behavior, but it is Michelle Olozier that she steps on and then Olozier misses the penalty kick. Yeah. And maybe this is some like 8D chess from Lauren James. I don't, again, I'm not condoning it, oh. but you know, maybe there's more strategy here in that stamp than we've given damage, anybody credit think, for. Little bit that's, of, a very, yeah. that's a very Ryan Bailey spin on that one. I... I think this is one of the dumbest uh, moments at this World Cup. Uh, Lauren James knows VAR is there, knows exactly what she's doing for people who didn't see it. It's a bit of a clash, and I think she's just frustrated. I think in that moment, she's frustrated both by the way the game is going, but also, I think, by the physicality of that moment. Alozier is down, Lauren James gets up, and I would say even to start 
puts her feet in places that they don't really need to be. They are very close to Elozier's body just when she's standing up, uh, Lauren James, and then steps on her back, does so deliberately, knows exactly what she's doing. And I was even fascinated by her reaction to the red card, which seems sort of, I think on the surface, like, oh, okay, you're giving me a red card, fine, and walks off. But I think there was a moment as soon as she did that of this is probably going to come back to haunt me. And it did. And I think the lack of reaction also speaks to the shock of the moment of, Oh no, I have fully let my team down. I have let the moment get to me and now have a minimum two game suspension. Uh, Definitely not what we are expecting from Lauren James heading into this one. So she'll get an automatic one match ban. um, So she will miss the quarterfinal and then it will be up to the FIFA panel to decide whether she will get any additional ban. And I expect she will. Mark Clattenburg on the US broadcast said it's a minimum of two automatically with an additional uh, (laughs) penalty if they want to. Dale Johnson, who is like the Twitter oracle of uh-huh. these sort of things, was saying that that's where I took that information from. So Clats we can put Dale, them in a fight, ring together fight, fight. and we can get them to fight. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, like, uh, I got no particular beef with Mark Clattenburg, but, you know, uh, I'll go with your guy. Why not, Graham? Yeah. <laughs> well, so Clattenburg has some has some some background, so we'll what go we with should your, do yours is, instead. What we should do is litigate this even further, because uh, I do think the most interesting part of soccer is the referee discourse. I think I think we should <laughs> we should really just draw this out as much as we can. So, well, so uh, Joe, I'm actually going to do that right now. No. Um, Abidan got a, a red... We have almost an exact, an exact sort of replica from the first Nigeria match where Abidan gets a red card um, and she got automatic one-match ban, then it was extended to three. So that's why I think Lauren James not only will miss the quarterfinal, but even if England make the final, make a run of the final, I think her tournament is over. Yeah, it seems to be a two to three match ban at the discretion of the FIFA technical committee, which we're facing here. But uh, a 21-year-old who's made a fairly indefensible error there in a high stakes environment been hyped to the heavens here in the uk has lauren james so maybe that pressure has played a part on it but as i say no no excuses for that kind of behavior on the field uh and th- I, I saw some narratives that even it helped england turn things around like with 11 players and well, in, in a strange way i i, I can kind of buy into that a little bit um i think before the red england were stuck between holding on and, and pushing forwards and um, but then being a player down they were clear in what the kind of the challenge and the task was was which was knowing they needed to keep possession and let nigeria press and, and try and kind of tire them out so i do think while i wouldn't say it helped their chances because i'm not sure how they're scoring a goal in that moment it maybe allowed them to reset the match a little bit and get to the shootout is what i would yeah. say there it is. All right, we do need to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about Straya and their victory over Denmark and much more. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. I just want to reiterate before we move on to the Australia game, uh, that final penalty that Chloe Kelly took, and Taylor, you you, uh, um, enunciated it very well, that the technique was brilliant. The Bruno-esque hop that she did. Yep. 
the entire nation was like, oh no, yep. no, no, don't do that. And for the, the for the execution after that and the confidence and the yeah. way she hit it at full pace, as I say, that was that is an all-time England moment. For sure. Right there. For sure. I mean, I think I really do think it's it's it is the most clutch penalty I can recall. Uh, I, I feel like I'm walking back my initial statement, but for me, it, it was just so emphatic in the way she finished, and also just the complete lack of celebration. Like, yeah, what'd you expect? Of yeah. course I'm going to do that. Like, it was just totally nonchalant about hitting maybe the best penalty I've ever seen. Yeah. A skip, hop, and a thump is how I described. Uh, saw nice. it described. Uh, that's, I quite like that line. Yeah. There you go. Uh, uh, cookies for you, Graham. That's a good line. Uh, England, as we mentioned, facing Colombia or Jamaica, Joe, in the quarterfinals. Probably Colombia on the balance of things. How do we feel about Today. that? I don't. I don't know. First of all, I'm not willing mm-hmm. to make a prediction for that game. Uh, okay. I, I I think England are in for another ugly game. I think they will still have the edge, even down an, another player. They still are the deeper and more talented team of any of the the potential options there, Colombia or Jamaica. But I mean, they were already down attacking players, right? They're already down sort of link players, these these players that can try to, to play the pass before the shot, those kinds of things. And now being down Lauren James, who's playing in a central role, which I do not think is her best role at all. I think she's much better out wide. I, I, I think they're going to be in some trouble in terms of their ability to generate chances. That said, they will still have the edge because they're England and they'll be playing either Colombia or Jamaica. Indeed. Taylor, you feel any differently to that? No, I think Joe summed it up pretty well. Very good. He always does, doesn't he? He's, He's pretty like good that. at it. He's yeah. pretty good at these things. He is indeed. Uh, let's move on to Australia versus Denmark. A 2-0 win for the co-hosts here. Ford and Rasso with the decisive goals. 75,700 and something fans in Sydney for this one. For Sam Kerr's return, no less. Uh, yet more proof that the game is growing very healthily, at least in the uh, in the uh, uh, what do we, Antipodean. Are we, are we, did we discover oh that was Australia or not? not I don't know. It Down under. Be. It would be. It would be. Yeah. Down under antipodean. Right. I think they both work. Yes, indeed. But uh but Joe, a decent accomplishment for the co-host this one, yeah. if not a riveting wild ride for us on our couches. No, not at all, right? But it's not Australia's job to entertain us, right? It's their job to go out there and Isn't execute it, Joe? their game plan. Isn't it? <laughs> I guess it depends on your perspective, doesn't it? Um, yeah, even though this game wasn't riveting, this it went exactly according to plan for Australia, like almost down to a T. From the beginning of this game, it's them in a 4-4-2 block. It's Denmark in a 4-4-2 block. It's kind of both teams just like taking turns in the attack. Neither team really wanted to press. And so it felt to me like almost an American football kind of game where one team has a possession and they run a drive and then they turn the ball over and then you wait and then the other team gets on the ball and they run a few plays and then they punt. And it's like neither team was really taking advantage of any of the transition moments except for Australia in the build-up to their goals and maybe one or two other sequences, right? Those are the moments where Australia said, okay, we can pounce and we can attack Denmark. Now that we've lured them forward, we can break in beyond. And they did that perfectly on the first goal, 29th minute, a lovely counterattack. Caitlin Ford finishing that attack off. It all starts with Australia defending in their own half, Denmark in possession, one of the worst crosses you'll ever see. Australia pick up the ball and they go down the other way. And then the 70th minute, it's, it's the same thing. It's Denmark on the ball, Australia win it. They take their sweet time, this time putting the ball in the back of the net, but it is another transition kind of sequence. That's what Australia wants to do. They want to slow the game down. They want to make you really feel sort of impotent when you have the ball, and that's exactly what happened in this game. Australia, credit to them. Not aesthetically an awesome game, but performance-wise, they checked all the boxes. I agree with almost all of that, with the exception that I feel like Denmark sort of made themselves impotent in this Agreed. one. Like, Agreed. man, were they not very good in front of goal or in terms of attacking possession. Uh, it felt to me like they were almost 
taking a page out of Australia's book and going long and direct every time. It felt like their game plan was to capitalize specifically on Ellie Carpenter uh, getting forward. And so they were targeting the space in behind. It was often looking for uh, Madsen to make those kind of direct runs. And then I think the plan was get her in space. She gets the ball. She holds it up. We get numbers into the box. She crosses in and something happens. And I understand why they would maybe go for that. Uh, I think that as the game went on, they definitely could have gone for a less direct approach, or at the very least, once they have it in the channel, there could have been more possession to try to pull Australia out, but there wasn't. Instead, it was just the same thing over and over again. And Joe, you said it with the first one. I'll add it with the second one. Both Australia's goals are horrendous crosses from Denmark that go straight to an Australian player, and then they're away. I, the first one was amazing because it's Caitlin Ford, who I think one touches it to, uh, to Fowler, and then it's... Uh, uh, Fowler back to forward and there's your goal. Uh, and for the second, I think it's Steph Catley who plays it forward. Uh, Australia play out of a little bit of pressure from Denmark and then they're able to attack and score. It's a really good team goal. But both times it's the, it's Denmark just sort of going for a cross, hoping something comes off. Both of them horrifically hit. Both of them cut out by Australia. Denmark now have numbers committed. They get counterattacked. Australia win 2-0. Uh, I was pretty frustrated by this game. Not because I was rooting for Denmark, I didn't much care who won this game, but I did expect more from them. Uh, or at the very least, I expected more fouls from both of them. We only got 16 in this game, so I don't get my VSP for this one. But it was, other than that, exactly how I think we thought this game was going to go. Not a long ball. Very physical. I think Denmark completed like maybe 75% of their passes. Australia less than that. So certainly not a technically beautiful game by any stretch of the imagination. Did did anybody get their VSPs? Because Taylor didn't get his fouls. I didn't get my extra time. Ryan, what was yours? You're raising your hand like you did something good. Alessi Russo over 40 touches. 48, baby. Well done. Okay, Graham, do you remember what yours was? Yeah, mine was Alex Greenwood to have a lot of long balls and England barely had the ball. So right, right. Uh, 56% okay, possession, Graham. Oh, yeah, I'll have you <laughs> Uh, well, congratulations. That's, that's the majority. What that's all. Yeah, that's all. That's tragic. A silent majority, Graham. Congrats to you, Ryan. I, I will say, Taylor, your point about Denmark almost beating themselves, and there is an element of that, Great. right? That's that's how it'll go in any game. When when you score yeah. a goal or when you concede a goal, there is a mistake that happens. Otherwise, otherwise you wouldn't have conceded a goal. And so those things are real. The other aspect for me was you mentioned some of the poor play from Denmark higher up the field with some of those crosses. It was also their possession play deeper downfield. Like yeah. the ball moved at a snail's pace in this game yeah. on both sides. The difference is it felt like Australia had a counterattack or two in them. For Denmark, it, it never really felt like that. Harder has a, a couple of chances here and there. A decent one in the first half where she's driving forward on the break in Australia don't apply quite enough pressure to deny a shot. But man, Harder was drifting around all over the place, playing as a number 10 for them in that, you know, it's a 4 4 2 block and it turns into kind of a 4 2 3 1 in possession. She's drifting everywhere and, and doing good things because she's a very good player, but there's just nothing around her. Like, there's no one for her to combine with. The ball is moving too slowly to force Australia to shift, so they can just sit there and camp and hang out and wait for something to happen, win the ball and go the other way. Denmark did not cover themselves in glory in this game or, or frankly, in this tournament. Yeah. And in that way, they felt outdated to me in the end, that it's a team that never really felt like they got fully going. They never kicked into gear. We never had that attacking performance that made us think, oh, teams do have to consider them, do have to worry about them a little bit. And I think a lot of that is Pernil Harder, who is such a great player. Uh, they started her further forward in their first game, and then she slowly moves further and further back to be on the ball more often. But I think, and Joe, to your point, she's moving all over the place because the goal is basically get her the ball and yeah. then get numbers forward and then have her find passes. But if you are playing through one player 
pretty routinely, and it's either that one player or long balls, that becomes pretty easy to deal with on the defensive side of things. But it also means that it's all, or very often it's, it's improvised attacks. It's her receiving the ball, ideally turning, and then seeing what's open. And again, if you're defending that, it's just put somebody on her right away, and then you disrupt what she wants to do from the outset. And then if she is able to get past that one player and not drop it back, then you have players in enough of a defensive position that she's not really going to be able to threaten very much on an individual way. And that's how this game kept going. I just I couldn't get over how... The Swiss didn't make changes, excuse me, Denmark, but they kind of played like the Swiss. Uh, They don't make changes at halftime. And even when they do make changes later on, the commentators uh, here in the U.S. were like, okay, so now they're switching to a back three. They're going to change it up. Oh, no, no, never mind. It's the exact same shape and the exact same players doing the exact same things. So they don't really ever try to do anything different. They don't really have a second year or a different look, and I think they were punished for it. Graham, um, turns out the best fowler of the day wasn't Lauren James. It was Mary Fowler, who was uh, spectacular in this game. I think that was good. I applaud that. I applaud that. That that, that, that assist for the first goal, the the, the pass through the middle was sublime. Yeah, that assist for the first goal is, is for me, one of the assists of of the tournament so far with the little turn. And yes, she's operating in a lot of space and has a lot of space to play that ball into. But nonetheless, it's an excellent pass in behind from deep. And she is really growing with with every match. I remember reading about Australia before the tournament. And one of the concerns that they had was that they didn't have a technical, creative player in the pockets. Now, I'm not trying to argue that not having Sam Kerr has been anything but a blow to this Australian team. But one of the benefits, one of the side products of that byproducts has been that I think they have looked to Mary Fowler to be that sort of creative player in that number 10 position and and putting her into pockets of of space. And now that Sam Kerr is back, and I do have questions about how she's going to actually fit into this attack for the next game, assuming that she starts, that attack does look more rounded as a result and I don't know whether I'm putting too much stock I probably am putting too much stock in Australia I think the the fact of the matter is they probably just played quite bad teams so far but it does kind of feel like they're growing into this tournament I still wouldn't place them among the tier one favorites but they do seem to be becoming a tournament team they certainly look stronger than they did in the first two matches they have found a better balance between their midfield and their attack and and Tournament teams can be dangerous, um, and I'm not quite convinced of Australia's general quality, but it does feel like defensively they're quite strong. I like their central midfield pairing of, of Gori and, and, and Cooney Cross. I think they're excellent kind of two-way operators, very well positionally disciplined, and they cover a lot of ground. And they can be a barrier in front of the, the back four, but then they can also act as valves when they have to move the ball forward. They have Fowler kind of helping out in creative areas as well. Um, I even like what Emily Van Egmond has 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 offered as well in absence of Sam Kerr. Um, obviously, she hasn't been the most eye-catching of players, but she does allow Caitlin Ford and Rasso and Fowler to, to shine and does a good job of understanding her role and bringing others into the into the game, as we saw with her acting like as the focal point for the second goal. So, as I say, I'm interested in how that dynamic will change now that Sam Kerr seems to be back in the, in, in the fold and if she starts the next match but it is good for Australia to have those different options I appreciate the hesitation there Graham because I feel like I've been burned by Australia and Sam Kerr like three different times in this tournament now it was getting to the point where I wanted to make sure she wasn't a hologram she wasn't like a cardboard cutout on the sideline but she does end up coming on and I believe immediately shins a ball 30 yards out of bounds so maybe not the uh, the start that Sam Kerr was hoping for when she comes back in but I don't know if we'll see her start the next game if she uh, comes off the bench, but I'm guessing we will get more Sam Kerr uh, in the next round. 
We should do indeed. Joe, that next round, we'll see Australia take on the winner of France versus Morocco. That's a tough test for the Australians. It, it will be. And I, I think all of us, even including Taylor, Morocco's number one fan, would say France is the most likely team to emerge from that How round of 16 clash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I felt that way. I, I think that's going to be the best test by a long shot that Australia have faced so far. I, I'm not comfortable ruling them out of any game because I think their style of trying to slow the game down, limit shots, attack on the break, they have a very clear vision, and they do have the players to execute that vision at a very high level. And so I, I think they're going to be in every game, even though ultimately I agree with Graham. I'm not sure they're a tier one contender, and I don't think they've played very good teams so far. So I'm really looking forward to that game. It feels strange to say that a real test for this team might not have come until the quarterfinals, but that might be the reality right now. Oh, Australia could meet England in the semifinals. Oh, imagine it. Nah. I've, all right, I've imagined it. I'm done with that now. Uh, let's take a quick break. <laughs> when we come back, some very specific predictions and much more. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and they, all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. Taylor... There's yes. only nine games left in the Women's World Cup. Can you, Adam and Eve, it? It's, uh, we've, we've been on quite a journey so far, but yeah, there's uh, not that much time left. Um, actually, there's 10 games with the third place playoff, but we're not counting that. Is this what happens when England progress in a tournament? You start bringing out rhyming slang? Uh, apples and pears, yes. <laughs> it just becomes uh, more cockney with every match that England win. This is the this is the stage where it still feels like there are a ton of games happening, so it doesn't quite feel like we've tipped over into the final stages of the tournament. Today was the first day that I was like, "Oh, we're we're coming to the end. We're out, we're out, we're getting through the knockout round, and then suddenly we're gonna have to wait days at a time for games." I don't like that. I never like that stage of a tournament, even if it means we're getting 
bigger opposition uh, playing each other with potentially dramatic results happening. Though I would say, well, I guess the United States being knocked out is a pretty dramatic result in the knockout round. So we've had some dramatic results. We have, and we've had some dramatic uh, big teams not getting through to the knockout Mm -hmm. stages as well. Uh, A handsome tournament so far, I think we can all agree. I did enjoy... Like, I understand how there has to be the postmortem on the U.S. women's national team. And there will be many, 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 many articles written, many, many podcast episodes done about what happens next, what went wrong for this team. I did enjoy some people with the narrative of, you know, other like like football dominant nations have started to emulate the way their their men's programs operate, the funding behind them, and that they are really closing the gap or even taking the lead on the United States. And I think a number of people I saw referenced, uh, it, it was like England, the Netherlands, uh, Germany, and Brazil. And it was like, well, two of those maybe aren't the programs that you want to point to as being models of how to get out of the group is all I'm saying. So... I think, yeah, plenty of teams are struggling uh, in the group stage and in the knockout round, uh, but not the ones we've already talked about today, and, and we'll see what happens tomorrow. I, I'm, I am expecting France to, uh, to probably get past Morocco, but you never know. You never know. Things could take a turn. Yes, indeed. The round of 16 wraps up on Tuesday. We've got France taking on Morocco, as you say, Tater, and of course, Colombia taking on Jamaica. Why don't we do some very specific predictions for those there games? Uh, Joe, would you like to kick off? Uh, your your last prediction was that I think a game of soccer would occur. I think you got that. Uh, have you got anything more specific today? <laughs> yeah, I think there'll be a winner at this World Cup. I don't know if I'm, I'm feeling bold <laughs> enough to say that. No, so my VSP is for that Colombia Jamaica game as I just aggressively slap my my uh, pop filter. Uh, I've got the in this game the average I know right the average shot distance will be 21 yards or more. And let me explain sort of my thinking here. So far, according to FB Ref, Jamaica and Colombia have both been right around 20. Actually, I assume this is yards. Sorry, I'm just now realizing there's a chance this is meters. No, it is yards. Okay, my bad. Should have been prepped for that. Just didn't want to be uh, stung by that later on. They've both taken shots <laughs> from an average of 20 or, or 20.7 in the case of Jamaica uh, yards away from goal. I think that will be even more exaggerated in this game, at least 21 yards away from goal. Poor quality shots because I'm imagining this game in some ways feeling a lot like this Australia-Denmark game where both teams are, are probably more comfortable playing against the ball. Colombia want to find Myra Ramirez higher up the field and play off of her. Jamaica want to find Bunny Shaw higher up the field and play off of her. There'll be some moments where they're probing in the final third and looking for chances, but I haven't seen anything from these teams in this competition outside of individual moments of brilliance that makes me think, oh, this is how they're going to create really good shots over and over and over again. I think there's going to be a lot of strikes from distance. I think there could be fun parts of this game, by the way. Having two incredible number nines in this match does make it fun and provide an immediate point of intrigue. But I'm saying we're going to see a lot of shots from distance and it's going to average out to 21 yards away from goal or more. Is that specific enough for you, Ryan? I'm so proud of you, Joe. That you, you've gone from uh, yesterday's prediction of uh, the players will breathe some air to yep. uh, something yep. that's <laughs> hyper-specific, 21 yards or more average short distance. You've, I'm not going to say you've overcorrected. I think you've just got back on the path. Well done. I just want you to be proud of me, Ryan. That's all I want. Uh, Joe, I'm always proud of you. You know that. Then I could have done an easier prediction, darn it. What a mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was your error. Yeah. All right, Graham, what's your prediction? So I'm joining Joe in heading to the Columbia-Jamaica match tomorrow, and my VSP is that Bunny Shaw will have at least two one-woman transition moments. So she had one of these moments against Brazil where the rest of the Jamaica team just kind of sat back and said, yeah, you do you, as Bunny Shaw took on an entire defence 
on her own. Here's my criteria before I get questioned on that. She has to carry the ball 20 yards. She can't have any teammate within 20 yards of her. 21 and yards. Within this move, 21 yards. No, 20 yards. I'm, I'm going to say, I don't know how we're judging the yards, actually. We'll need to get the measure stick out. But anyway, and within <laughs> that move, she must have um, at least three opposition players within close proximity of her. Um, I think there'll be two or more of those moments in the match because while Joe is right, this this game will probably be two teams that don't necessarily want the ball. It kind of feels like a lot of the time that is Jamaica's attacking approaches. Just give the ball to Bunny and see what she does with it. Very good. All right. Thank you, Graham. My very specific prediction, uh, prediction, excuse me, not addiction, uh, pertains to the France versus Morocco game. I'm going to say that Morocco will make a defensive error leading to a goal. Uh, my only rationale here is that they made two defensive errors in the game against Germany uh, from the goalkeeper and from the centre-back Hanan El Haas. Uh, I think the French front line will put plenty of pressure on them and try to force some errors. So I'm going to say at least one of uh, uh, there will be French goals. At least one of them will be via a defensive error. That leads right. us. Do we do we classify that as like you'll know it when you see it sort of a defensive error or is that a like long ball that is then turned over in France counterattack and score? Like what 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 are you what are you thinking of? Are you thinking of like a mishit, a a bad back pass or or something else entirely? Yeah, something directly attributable attributable to the defense. If it gets a little e symbol on who mm-hmm. scored, then that's a defensive error, right? Fair. <laughs> there you go. All right. I like that one. Um, I think that's probably the most specific of any of the specific predictions today. Uh, because mine, I was going to tease Graham for, for the vagaries of his, but mine is also sort of vague. Mine is that uh, a run, an off-the-ball run from Eugenie Lesemer will lead to a goal, but specifically not a goal for her. That she will make a run that will pull a Moroccan defender out of position. And again, this will be a, like, you'll know it when you see it. They will overcommit tracking her, because I think that is another thing we've seen from this Moroccan defense, is very, I'm going to make a play. I've got to uh, intercept this. I've got to track this player. I've got to make something happen. And I think that can lead to them being overly aggressive in the way they track runs, and I think that can lead to them being opened up pretty easily. So I'm picturing that Samara making a run across uh, across the box, defender goes with her, that defender then leaves about 10 yards of space for, say, Gianni to occupy and score from. So that that is the type of run I'm talking about, a you'll-know-it-when-you-see-it sort of moment from Samara. Okay, so if Lissamere's not standing still when France score, then you're, you're claiming it, right? Nice try. No, it's, <laughs> no, it really, it really is like she will vacate space that another player will then occupy and be wide open. Excellent stuff. Some very good, very specific predictions there, gents, if I don't say so myself. Uh, listener, if you want to track along with those, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. Our Discord has a running tally of our very specific predictions. You can get involved there as well. But for now, it's time to say goodbye to this episode of Women's World Cup Daily. Taylor Rockwell, a pleasure as always, my good sir. The pleasure was mine and uh, preemptive apologies to Jamaica because I think my round of 16 prediction was that Bunny Shaw would find the back of the net, either scoring from open play or in the shootout, which I feel means I have now jinxed them and they will go to a shootout and then Bunny Shaw will miss her penalty so that I don't get my points. Jamaica doesn't advance and we're all very sad, but I really hope Jamaica advance. Oh boy. Chin out, chest up, positive lookout. There you go. There it is. He's back. He's back. Taylor's back. Graham Rutherford, thank you very much for uh, joining us here. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And Joe Lowry, once again, proud of you. Oh, thank you, Ryan. Graham, I'm sorry England won. Ryan, I'm happy England won just for you guys. Thank you very much, Joe. Everything to everyone there. Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye. 